This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, it's not often that I'll start with a genuine question. And I mean it, a sincere question here off the top. Usually there might be an angle there, dare I say, might be an agenda here. Cardinals Underground, Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard. But this is an honest question. Have you guys ever taken a class pass-fail? I never did. Four years of college, master's, never took a class pass-fail. Anybody? Bueller? Me neither. No. Not me. I'm, I'm imagining that if a football season was akin to a college semester, that this might qualify as pass-fail. Is that an apt analogy that you have a season in which, you know what, it all comes down to week 17 and one game, and your grade is going to be judged on the finale. And it could be pass, and you're into the playoffs, or it could be an L, and you get the F in this case, pass-fail. It just has that feel anybody with me here on cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation proud partner of the arizona cardinals darren you look eager uh, you know it's it's funny paul i i might actually have to give you credit for that one that uh, that one feels kind of good i feel like we've had a lot of intros of late where uh, we either disagree or you've just taken it off the rails before we get 60 seconds into the podcast but today i feel like that's actually fairly apt there might actually be some meat on that bone. Okay, I'll take that. You know, it may have taken me all season to get the <laughs> intro correct, but but here we are. At least maybe I'm tracking towards a pass at this point, <laughs> perhaps. And, and you know what, Kyle? Here's the other aspect of this. And look, uh, obviously, I'm psychoanalyzing this team from the outside in. I'm not in that locker room. But I don't get the sense they necessarily are all that concerned with some of the grades along the way they're sort of doing enough to keep themselves in position to be poised to pass the class at the very end. And then guess what? Everything gets zeroed and you start all over. Not unlike certain other Arizona Cardinal playoff teams of past. Not that I'm predicting any sort of future successes like the stock market. You know, no, nothing in the past indicates future success. I'm not going that route here. I'm not going all it's not more predictive, Paul. Right. Right. But Kyle, uh, all right, bail me out. See, now I'm off the rails. <laughs> I'm going back to your original question because I think it's a really good one. And the second part I wasn't as interested in talking about. But I think uh, I, I totally agree with you where the perception of this season completely comes down to this game. You win, you finish nine and seven, you make the playoffs, you at least play in the wild card round. And even if you lose that game, you know, you, you had a winning season, you showed tangible, expected progress. If you lose, you lost, what's it going to be, five of your last seven. You're, uh, you're going to finish 500. You're not going to make the playoffs. Your offense did not take that jump that you expected. And a lot of people are going to be really mad. I mean, there's the last month or so, it's pretty negative out there on social media. And I completely agree. It's complete pass fail. There is no curve. There is no squeaking by. It's like, this is it. If you win, everybody feels great. If you lose, it's going to be a pretty rough few months of an off season until we get to free agency. And then the optimism will start to grow from there. It's funny you, you talk about that, Kyle, because the idea that the Paul kind of brings up in terms of pass fail it reminds me, uh, if I take this a little personal here, uh, as the father, and then you have, you know, your your kid in college, and you're just, he's just trying to get through that one class. And you, as, as the parent, you're sitting yourself, well, if you just would have worked a little harder along the way to have a more solid grade, you wouldn't be in a position where you, you, you haven't come down to this. Uh, and yet, Ultimately, it's just whether you get through that class and you can apply it towards your degree. And I, I think that's that's kind of where we are right now. 
I, I mean, obviously I've heard a lot of the negativity. Um, I, I honestly, I do think there's a, there pass fail is the most important part of this, but I also think that depending on how it goes with the way the Rams are set up right now, how that first playoff game might go, even if you win, I think there's a lot of people that are, are ready to like kick some of the aspects of the season to the curve, uh, whether you get in or not. But ultimately I think mostly if you get in, you you've done a lot. I mean, let's face it. You were a five win team last year. If you win nine games and make the postseason, I think that's a pretty significant development. True or false? Another honest question. If the Cardinals had beaten the 49ers in week 16, they would still need to win to get in under the current well, scenario? It, it, not necessarily. Uh, if they would have beaten the 49ers, if the Bears would have lost, they would have been in regardless of the outcome. Yeah, but if the Bears. Accounting, accounting for the Bears win against Jacksonville, everything yes. else being what it is. If the Cardinals, if they would have won against the Niners, they still would need to win to be in in week 17? No, because. It, the way it would have set up is they could have lost to the Rams, but if the Packers beat the Bears, the Cardinals would have made it. That's why last week was so important. And, I mean, the Cardinals are lucky to where they still have fate in their own hands now because of what happened in the Rams-Seahawks game. But they would still be in a lot better spot if they had beaten the 49ers for sure. Assuming, of course, you're thinking the Packers beat the Bears, which they, the Packers do have something to play for. But I don't think that's a given either. Uh, and so they, they were in a position where that, and, and the other thing that, uh, would have happened regardless of what happened with the 49ers, that bears Packers game would have been in the same time as the Rams Cardinals. So the, the Cardinals would have been playing, not knowing what the bears were going to do. So they would have had to go in that game expecting to have to win anyways. All right. So my dumb guy question sometimes serves me well. So that, that's my transition to the 49ers game in week 16. Uh, dare I say that was akin to a preseason game in a lot of ways. You look at that Niners defense, there were basically two names you recognized and Fred Warner, the Pro Bowler, who, by the way, man, is that guy a player. Are, are you kidding me? He's in the backfield. He's 30 yards, yards down the field, breaking up passes to tight ends in the deep middle. Uh, he's off the edge, breaking up a key fourth down pass, playing the eyes of Kyla Murray, Eric Armstead, obviously, and then a bunch of guys you really have never heard of. Um, what is the best explanation for that loss, Kyle. When I say preseason, it, it kind of had the preseason energy and intensity, and Cliff Kingsbury pretty much said as much uh, on Monday and, and admitted, yeah, that's where I would start the assessment of that game, the lack thereof. I mean, I have a really hard time blaming energy and urgency in a game like that. You're talking about week 16, and if you win, you're in a really good shot to make the playoffs. I mean, what excuse do the Cardinals have for not having energy in that game? I, I just feel like the 49ers came out and dominated the trenches, both running the ball at will, averaging seven and a half yards per carry, defensively not letting Kenyon Drake do much of anything and, and playing good coverage. I, I think they got beat. I mean, we can talk about energy and whatever we want, but you look at the way it went, the box score, everything just says that the Cardinals were not as good as the 49ers. And obviously we're going to search for reasons why this happened. But I mean, I don't think you can blame a, a lack of urgency or looking over the 49ers. I just think that the Cardinals personnel did not play as well as the 49ers did. Well, and during the course of the game, I brought this up with Bertrand Berry as we were calling the game. Was this the game, Darren, where you finally felt the loss of some of your defensive linemen? When you look down there and you had Angelo Blackson and you had Damato Pecco and you had Zach Allen, who can't have 11 tackles every single game. And, and then you start remembering some of the names you're without that are on IR and just that lack of depth maybe up front. Because to me, if I'm going to diagnose that game, to Kyle's point, all right, let's just keep it real. Uh, the lack of run defense when they're running for 227 and Jeff Wilson, a third string running back, has a buck 83 and he's averaged seven and eight yards per. Uh, the lack of tackling maybe arguably the worst tackling of the season that reminded me of the preseason or at least early September you come out of the preseason and, and it looks like nobody has really tackled before because honestly you can't practice tackling full speed full contact anymore I, I don't know it just it just reminded me of that sort of feel maybe because once again there's no fans in the stands and that contributes to that overall vibe but I don't know what was your sense Darren I mean I'm kind of I'm in the middle of both of you guys uh, I see where Kyle's coming from but at the same time I, I did feel a listless part of it, and, and maybe it was because of the tackling. I, I thought the tackling was not good. Uh, everybody could kind of see it. Um, 
you know, maybe the defensive line is a little banged up, but uh, so is the 49ers offensive line. And that the defensive line doesn't explain how a guy gets 11 yards downfield. That explains how he gets five yards downfield. So, uh, you know, I, I just I feel like there was just something missing all the way around. Um, just not enough concentration. I mean, this is a team that uh, overall now has got 32 false starts on the season, which is just way too many. Um, I just feel like the focus was just not there as much as it should be. And um, I, I don't know why that is. Um, but I mean, Bethard only had 13 completions. So it, it clearly came back to the running game and not being able to do that. And, and even then, if 49ers don't have a short field at the end they might not even get to 20 points I know they missed a couple kicks and everything but um I I when I look at this game the defense didn't play well but all I can think about is what the offense couldn't do and and why they couldn't do it well like for example Kyle we talk about we try and quantify the lack of energy and intensity and Cliff Kingsbury did cite that on Monday for example didn't it seem like the Niners had a lot more hats to the football gang tackling guys rallying to the football and defense versus the Cardinals. Very rarely did we see multiple hats to the ball. And Bertram Berry was someone who pointed that out during the game. I thought that was an indicator because there are other games where the defense is fired up and playing with that intensity. It just seems like, um, you know, guys aren't getting as easy a yards and there are just more guys around the ball. So if there is a missed tackle, guess what? You're playing with more of a net. I just, I just still can't imagine what the reasoning would be for not giving multiple hats to the ball in a game like that. Like if you were the 49ers and you had that thought process, I can understand it because they're eliminated from the playoffs. They don't have as much on the line, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that because why would the Cardinals not be going all out? Why would they not have that energy in this game? Like this was the most critical game of the season up to that point. And I don't think there's any excuse for, not rallying to the ball other than the guy's really fast and you couldn't get there because their running back was a little bit more agile than your defenders or their offensive linemen had better blocks and your guys couldn't physically shed them. So I just feel like it was more from a personnel standpoint where whatever happened in this matchup, it didn't work out for the Cardinals. I don't think it was a lack of effort or energy. I I, I thought, you know, they played, I, I didn't see anybody like giving up on plays or anything. I just think, I think the 49ers came out and beat the Cardinals. That's it. That's actually a more sobering reality because if it really is just energy intensity, well, that's easy enough to fix. But if you're saying that the likes of a third string running back uh, was too much to handle, then, you know, that, yeah, that, that becomes problematic. If you're not able to, to force, uh, you know, an interception from a third string quarterback after the Niners have been a turnover machine, 22, turn, 22 turnovers in eight games, then I'm actually more concerned if that in, indeed is the diagnosis. Uh, I'm not sure what that makes me think in, in that regard. Although, well, and, and that being said, I mean, it's a very week to week league in the NFL. We've seen them look good and bad. And it's been, and I think the Cardinals have a lot of variance this season where they've looked really good in spurts and really bad. There haven't been a ton of middle games for them. So I'm not, I'm not ready to say this is the defining characteristic of the Cardinals and they're going to get beaten in the trenches again, because they've won a lot of games in the trenches and protected Kyler Murray really well and ran the ball. Albeit that was earlier in the season. We haven't seen the running game click of late. But I do think there is still that high-end ability where the Cardinals could still come out and have a, a nice game and, and win by a touchdown or 10 points. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Are we back to this blueprint, Darren? Are we back to – if we're trying to explain how the Cardinals go from 500-plus yards against the Eagles and then they go out there against the 49ers and they get stymied and stuffed and DeAndre Hopkins' longest catch is nine yards – uh, if we're trying to explain all that, are we going back to the too high safety blueprint and the inability to run the ball? Christian Kirk said as much after the game, if memory serves, that so many times the explosives in those chunk plays are built off the threat of a genuine run game. And so, you know, I know Kyle doesn't like to hear it, but doesn't it come back ultimately at some point just stopping the run and establishing the run, even though we all agree it is more of a passing league than ever? I mean, ultimately, uh, the, the thing that kind of 
gives me pause is that for all the issues the Rams are having offensively with some of their personnel and injuries and COVID and stuff, um, their defense is just fine. And they may that the Rams may have lost uh, to the Seahawks this past weekend, but it wasn't really their defense's fault. I mean, ultimately the Seahawks did get 20 points, but in today's day and age, 20 points shouldn't beat you. And, uh, and it was because the Rams offense couldn't do anything, but this defense is playing pretty well. And obviously um, while I know the Cardinals got 28 points against the Rams the first time, they got seven late when it didn't really matter. And they were kind of chasing it the whole time. And, And that's what concerns me is again, this offense, whether you're able to run the ball, is, is Chase Edmonds going to be available? Because it's fairly clear that Chase Edmonds is one of your most important offensive players, and you he may not be able to play. And even if he does, he may be banged up. Um, you know, where where do you go from here? Are you going to be able to to get the points that you need? Because you figure with a backup quarterback in there for the Rams, they're going to be ultra conservative, and and Sean McVay is probably going to be like, okay, defense, go win this. We know we can handle these guys and and this is how we're going to need to win the game that's how I envision this playing out because you know going into that Niners game and I think I said it when we were talking on Cardinals underground and I said it all week and I said a pregame I I just felt like to me with all the injuries and the third string quarterback dynamic with the 49ers really their competitive advantage to me what you fear the most with the Niners was Kyle Shanahan dialing it up on offense and Robert Sala dialing it up on defense and what do you think, Kyle, now that the game has been played, to what degree do you think that was true? And to what degree is that a similar threat to Darren's point about Sean McVay? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Kyle Shanahan's run game is elite. And no matter what running back is in there, and sometimes no matter what offensive lineman you use, it's it's hard to stop. And I think it's the same thing with Sean McVay, where They're certainly not going to have Jared Goff, and that's a huge blow to Los Angeles. But there are certain systems that are pretty QB reliant, and there are certain systems that the head coach can kind of rotate those quarterbacks. I think we've seen it with Kyle Shanahan, and I think Sean McVay can do something similar. He hasn't really had to show it because Jared Goff has been durable and been in there, but Jared Goff has not been lighting the world on fire this season, and the Rams have still been one of the better teams in the NFL. So, I feel like it's still a scary game because if you do those bootlegs and that misdirection and those bubble screens, it's not high difficulty throws for John Wolford and they can still be effective. So I think it's huge for Vance Joseph and the defense to get ready for the eye candy and to get ready for everything that Los Angeles is going to do and, and show that they can handle it and they're not going to be surprised by anything that comes up. By the way, Calvisi consulting the Pauly Pigskin division has a suggestion for next year when the Cardinals lock up with the 49ers. Can they put a spy on the fullback? Kyle Juszczyk, can you just put a spy on the fullback? It just seemingly, whenever it's, I mean, red zone, third down, Kyle Juszczyk, so sick of seeing number 44 and uh, getting a reminder that he went to Harvard. You know what I mean? As good a player as he is. And by the way, you know, all the Jared Goff haters out there, I know he's not in this game. And some people are wondering, oh, maybe it'd be better if the Cardinals had Jared Goff in there. Uh, hello. In week 13, he went 37 to 47 for 351. No picks, a touchdown. And he's been running the Rams offense that has averaged 35 points a game in Sean McVay going 7 and 0 against the Arizona Cardinals. So in, in that game, you know, they they punted what one time and time of possession in week 13 was 39 to 21. I remember. First downs at the halftime break were 19 to four in favor of the Rams. It's funny you bring that up, Paul, because that is something that's kind of gotten under my skin a little bit. I understand fans with the frustration about how when the Cardinals have faced a not starting quarterback or there's been an injury or whatever, because I've seen it's it's all, you know, the first time I tweeted that Goff might be hurt for this game and not play the number of, Oh, I guess we're just going to lose now. Oh, the the backup's going to go for three fifty and three touchdowns. And it, it gets a little annoying. And I, I, I guess I kind of understand it to a point, but I, I also want to say, Oh, I'm sorry. So you'd rather have the quarterback who's seven and zero since McVeigh showed up and is leading this, team to scoring whatever you said 35 points a game in the seven game winning streak you'd rather get that guy in there than potentially have some lesser player and have a chance at that 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 makes no sense to me uh and and I know people are 
fans are bitter right now and they're angry about the 49ers win or loss. And I, you know, I get it to a certain point, but I, it's really weird to see how all logic completely goes out the window with some of this stuff. Well, and to your point earlier, Darren, the Cardinals didn't lose to CJ Beathard. He just happened yeah. to be the quarterback that engineered that win, but it was the Niner running game. It was the Niners defense. It wasn't CJ Beathard out there with a pro bowl performance to, to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Now they didn't, they weren't able to get an interception off him. I get it, et cetera. But Kyle, you threw a tweet out there where you cited some of the backup quarterbacks the Cardinals have beaten this year, right? Yeah. There's always selective memory when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, Andy Dalton and Joe Flacco didn't perform very well against the Cardinals earlier this season. I mean, I get the thinking because you go back to last year and Kyle Allen played really well against the Cardinals back in the day. Uh, Landry Jones, was that his name with the Steeler? The third (laughs) quarterback came in and beat him. So when you lose to a backup quarterback, it's a very memorable experience, but the Cardinals have also handled CJ Beathard in the past, which people don't remember as well. So, I mean, clearly would you rather face the number former number one overall pick who is the clear-cut starter or John Wolford? I mean, most of the time you're going to have a better experience against a backup quarterback than a starter. Now, this is one game, and we'll see exactly what happens in one game. But, yeah, I mean, you want to face the inferior talent. It's pretty clear, and we'll see how the Cardinals handle it. This is obviously a better situation, but to your point, Paul, I mean, if – if Los Angeles runs the ball well and plays good defense, the quarterback isn't necessarily going to be the most important thing, which is rare in the NFL. But in this situation, they're going to try to take as much weight as they can off of his shoulders and make him comfortable. And if the Cardinals can't get the Rams into third and long consistently, then Wolford might have a good game like CJ Beathard did. And, and back of quarterbacks, I mean, the, what, what did Drew Stanton do as a starter? It was like nine and four or something crazy insane with the Cardinals. Now he was backing up on a good team and I get that. Um, but, uh, you know, look overall, I just, you know, and, and not to d- devolve too much here, but I, I mean, I saw when we came into the season, I thought the Cardinals were an eight or a nine win team. That's what I thought. And I thought they'd have a chance to get into the postseason, especially with it being expanded. Now, I'm not always right about these things. I, I thought they'd be a little bit better than a five-win team last year. Um, but it's turned out to be fairly accurate. And they're right where I thought they would be. And I, the argument that I get back is, but they've lost all these games to these terrible teams. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. But um, I, I don't know if, you know, it's easy to say those things. I guess I just remember the hot mess of 2018 and see where this team has come in two years. And, and I just, I see a much different situ- situation and it's not perfect. This is not the chiefs. Um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury at this point is, is not Bill Belichick or Andy Reid. Most coaches are not. And, you know, I just, I feel like there's gotta be a little bit of elbow room to have some kind of progress. And I feel like, the early season success, the five and two against probably a weak schedule, everybody got in their heads that this team all of a sudden should be winning 12 games and challenging for the Super Bowl. And I just feel like that got a little ahead of their skis there. And by the way, we could do a whole nother Cardinals underground brought to you by Pacific Automation, right? Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals on upsets, <clears throat> even though there really are none in the NFL. When you talk about the Jets beating the Rams, and some of the Steelers losses three in a row after they started 10 and 0. And then, I mean, think about it. The Bears lost six in a row at one point and are on the verge of making the playoffs right now. So there's insanity everywhere. The Cowboys put 40 plus on the Niners two weeks ago. It's just, uh, you know, in any notion that a team doesn't deserve a playoff spot, first off, if you're in the NFC West, you deserve it. Look at the NFC East. Number two, speaking of Drew Stanton, go back to 2014 when the Cardinals went to Carolina against a, a Panthers team that was 7-8-1. and one. And unfortunately, the Cardinals had a third-string quarterback and lost that game because Luke Keekley picked him off twice in the red zone. And so if you're here at this point, at the end of 2020, we've all learned it. Believe me, at the end of 2020, let's hit zoom Heck out. Yeah. That's my opinion. There's not point. a... It's not an NCAA selection committee, so it's not like you have to lobby to make the playoffs. I mean, if you have the better record, you're going in. So I don't – I mean, 
are the Bears more deserving than the Cardinals? I think both have been about a 500 team, and whichever one makes it, makes it, or maybe they both do and the Rams don't. But we'll see what happens. I think I think the Cardinals, the way they've tailed off, they're, they haven't you know finished strong. And with where the offense is, that you know is a wonder to me. Like, is the passing game going to hit that next gear at some point? Because if, if they don't get there, that's a little bit of a worry for me long term. I feel like you're going to have a high floor on offense because of what Kyler Murray can do with his legs. But I think they just need to become more consistent in the passing game. And can you do that in the season finale? And if you make the playoffs, if not, that's going to be a legitimate question for me in the offseason. Consistent in the passing game. That's a euphemism for what? I mean, what, what's wrong? What, what happens? What is lacking when the Cardinals can't get the passing game clicking? What is it exactly? Why, why does it look, why is it feast or famine seemingly with a passing game this year? Yeah, I know. It's like the yards per attempt in some of these games are absolutely through the roof. And in some of them he's averaging four or five. So I think it's a good question. I think the, the intermediate passing game has never been super efficient this season. I think that's the big issue. Like they've had their share of 30, 40, 50 yard passes and Kyler Murray can throw a heck of a deep ball for sure. Um, but it's kind of that timing intermediate route that hasn't always been there efficiently regularly this season. I think that's the next step. And I think uh, personnel wise, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has been great, but there hasn't been a number two guy to step up really. So I think that's a, a wonder too. Like who is going to be that guy this week? Who's going to be that guy the rest of this season? And, and how do you fill that role in the off season if you don't think it's on your roster? You know, that's a good observation about the intermediate passing game. Cause it does seem like when teams play the too high safety look and, or are successful in taking away the chunk throws 20 yards or more, the Cardinals really struggle. For example, in the Eagles game, they had eight throws of 20 yards or more, right? Hence, they had over 500 yards, total yards. Kyler Murray had a, had a career high of 406 yards passing, but that's because the chunk play was part of, of the offense, and, and they were clicking on that front. So if teams come in, hell bet on taking that away. And then other things, like, for example, we saw the corner blitz a lot, did we not, Darren? The, the corner blitz, seemingly that slot corner was coming often. And that was a real nuisance. That part of Robert Sala's game plan for the Niners, I'm real curious to see if the Rams adopt some of that because that, that seemed to be a persistent problem for the Cardinals. If he didn't get home, he flushed Kyler out, and that was problematic. Well, it also seemed like they not only brought the corner a lot, but they brought him on Kyler's open side, so he's facing him off of Kyler's right so that he can't he – can't, flush out of the pocket to his strong side so he's got to flush against his body which makes it a little bit harder to throw on the run um oftentimes if kyler does that move he's he has that moment where he's spinning out of it to go back the other way which allows you to make sure that he isn't looking down the field for at least a moment or two uh it makes a lot of sense if you can get him off his mark and do it that way so you know, again, I, I, I think they're still trying to figure out some things. It's I, I'm I don't know what to say about it. Um, I agree with Kyle. I, I think to have a little bit more of an intermediate passing game, you know, something that's getting you 12 to 18 yards once in a while, uh, especially in the middle of the field. It just doesn't seem to be there. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of this is based around guys getting the ball and then being able to run after the catch. <laughs> and you know, like Kyle said, you, you got to wonder who who that person is stepping up. I mean, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins has done that a few times. I don't know if that's really Larry Fitzgerald's game anymore. He's not getting a whole lot of separation and he's not super fast anymore. So if he gets the ball at five yards, you know, unless he breaks a, a big tackle, I mean, it's going to be tough for him to get a lot of yards there. And, you know, I thought Dan Arnold was having a nice season, but he obviously struggled in the 49ers game in a couple different areas. Um, you know, I, I think there's still some things that they need to do. Adding a playmaker would be helpful. And, and I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, that's why not having Chase Edmonds means so much because he's their best receiving running back. He's one of the most dynamic guys they have in the open field. And the offense with him and without him, I think, is a huge – there's a huge difference there. And it's a hip injury, Kyle, on yes. Chase Edmonds? Yeah. And there, yeah. yeah, he's – 
Cliff Kingsbury said he's day to day and he's, I mean, he had the knee, the ankle, he's, he's pretty beat up, but I totally agree with Darren. I mean, it was noticeable that the Cardinals in space were not breaking tackles against the 49ers and Chase Edmonds is a guy who has regularly shown he can do that. So if you could have him and when you dump it off to your running back and, and he can get eight yards instead of two, that's, that's a big difference. I think that's important. And Kyler, uh, Kyler's status now, I guess the good news is that he walked off the field against the Niners under his own power, correct? Yeah. And, yeah. and there didn't seem to be too noticeable of a limp. Now you have no idea what happens 24 hours later and when he gets up in the morning, et cetera. You don't even know exactly what the nature of the injury is. It's a proverbial hockey lower leg. So, um, but you got to figure he's going. And if he isn't going, then, all right, somebody help me out here because we've had some conflicting answers or maybe some cryptic responses as to who the backup would be with the playoffs hanging in the balance. Uh, you're smiling, uh, a big smile over there, Kyle. So go ahead. Well, I think it's going to be your guy if Kyler Murray's not playing. So I'm just excited for you, Paul. Can you imagine? Talk about pass fail. Chris Strebler is going to win against the Rams, take the Cardinals into the playoffs. Probably Wally Pip, Kyler Murray, win the Super Bowl, maybe win the next year's Super Bowl. I mean, this is the start of a, of a book right here, a movie. There, well, one, I, I will say one of the things I've enjoyed the most uh, is uh, Pat McAfee, the former Pro Bowl Colts punter who's turned media personality great. He, he's, he's so fun to listen to uh, if you can deal with a uh, off-color word or two once in a while. Um, but he had a rant today because obviously the Rams losing golf was a big story and uh, Walford playing quarterback. But with Murray's injury, people have kind of half paid attention to what might happen here, whether it's Strebler or Hundley, and we can get to that in a minute. But uh, Pat McAfee apparently just found out that it could be Chris Strebler and then decided to do a little research on Chris Strebler and on his podcast, used a little bit of the video of uh, – Chris Strebler having partaken in a couple of adult beverages while uh, during the Grey Cup parade, wearing his uh, his fur coat and his hat and his cowboy hat and his um, sunglasses. And the best part of it was them, him and his his guys on his podcast, thoroughly enjoying every part of Chris Strebler, which we know, Paul, is why you love him so much. Um, but all through the two and a half minute clip, Pat McAfee keeps calling him Chris Strafalski. He says, <laughs> I love Chris Strafalski. I, I, I'm rooting for Chris Strafalski. He called him that the whole way. And I just, I loved every minute of it. So uh, whether it's Chris Strafalski playing quarterback right. or Brett Hundley, I don't know yet. I do know that uh, the cliff did back off when he went on the radio. And when he was asked directly if, uh, if it would be Strebler starting, if Murray couldn't go, or if they would use the more experienced Brett Hundley, he said, that would be an organizational decision, and we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So we'll we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for Strafalski, though. The, Chris Strafalski, I think, is the goalie for the Manitoba Moose. He's like a minor <laughs> league hockey player. That, that's what that <laughs> is. I mean, come on now. That's that 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 is funny. And absolutely, I mean, McAfee, where you been on this? I mean, the dude won the Grey Cup. He's yes. drinking out of the Grey Cup. He's shirtless with his mother-in-law's fur coat on and the cowboy hat. You know, you know, if he is the starting quarterback, you know how they tweet out the uniforms hanging in the locker like twas the night before. They should tweet out a picture with the cowboy hat and the fur coat hanging in in Leveler's locker. That would be money right there. That would be absolutely money. There's no doubt. But look, as much as I as much as I love the personality that that is Chris Strebler, I have no idea what he would bring over four quarters. He hasn't even thrown a pass in the NFL. Kyle, how could you not go with the playoffs hanging in the balance? And Darren, how, how could you not go with Brett Hundley, who at least engineered you a win in Seattle last year in week 16? I'm, I'm going to let Kyle answer this, but I just want to clarify for having done some of the research on Strebler when I did a story on him when he first signed. I, I, I like the guy. He's a super cool guy, and I, I, I'm curious to know what would happen if he played. But let's let's not forget on that – CFL winning team he was not the starting quarterback he lost the quarterback job he was replaced as the quarterback and he turned into the Taysom Hill type person where he could throw some passes run the ball make some catches and that was his role when they won it wasn't as the starting quarterback so that's 
I, I said that, but, but I know Kyle feels strongly about this. So we'll let him talk. Well, my question would be, why is Chris Strebler active every single week of the season as your number two? And then, so you're saying that you think he's better than Brett Hundley. And then at the point when you're playing a game to go to the playoffs, why would you switch off of that thinking because of experience? Like you've watched these guys in camp. You've seen them every single day in the regular season in practice. Like, well, why would you switch because Brett Hundley has played in the NFL and Chris Strebler hasn't? I mean, you think one guy is better than the other. And if it was Brett Hundley from the beginning, then Brett Hundley's the backup. But Strebler has been the backup since the start of the season. And, and I would say that Jen, at this point, I, I agree with you. I'll, I'll be honest. When we came into the season and Strebler was the backup, I was thinking the whole reason he was the backup was because he was going to have a Taysom Hill type package of plays. It's kind of like the Saints when Drew Brees is healthy. Jameis Winston is inactive, although I think he's probably the better quarterback than Taysom Hill. We can argue that all day, Sean Payton. But but because they like using Hill in certain packages during the game, he was going to be active. And I thought that's what was going to happen with Chris Strebler is like he'd be number two. So he would be active during games with Kyler and you'd use him once in a while. Now, they obviously they did that on a couple plays early in the season. Then that disappeared. So I'm leaning towards where you are, Kyle. But that's what I thought it was originally. Yeah, that would be my answer, too. There's a leveler package and. That's what his use is on game day, whereas Brett Hundley would strictly be the backup, would only have a role in the event that Kyler is injured. Now, the last three months, we haven't seen that package. So Not since what, week two. <laughs> I mean, running it in the first half of September, is that still enough to make a defense have to prepare for it during a game week? Is that still enough for a defense to have to actually account for that and devote game preparation to the leveler package? Uh, you haven't I mean, seen I, two and a half months. I think they know who Chris Strebler is and they know he's a mobile quarterback and he's bigger than Kyler, but I don't think you're spending very much practice time worried about Chris Strebler until this week when, you know, he's going to throw for 450, run for 150 and, and the Cardinals are going to score 65. By the way, when he worked out for the Cardinals, if you guys remember, my report was having talked to some of the uh, personnel guys who are at that workout, they said he was stellar as a receiver. They said he caught everything, he ran good routes, because he had a receiver background at South Dakota for a while. I mean, there's more than just Strebler under center, Strebler in the gun, run it right, throw it left. Uh, you know, so, I don't know. I'm still waiting to see some of that. We're just recycling uh, talk from the preseason right. at this point now. You're right. trying to get the Strebler package back in in week 17. It and can I just, I'll throw out a real conspiracy theory here. How do you know either way? Because there was no preseason. He didn't even get preseason snaps. I mean, we're talking about preseason. And he didn't even get those. I'm wondering if it's been more about what Brett Hundley has not done. I mean, dare I say, could there be a doghouse that Brett Hundley has found himself in this year? Because if, if I'm in the trust tree right now, I'm telling you, that's what I've wondered for a long time. Did somehow Brett Hundley lose the confidence or trust of this coaching staff somehow? And that's why the move was made. Not necessarily anything that Chris Trevler did. I, I don't know. It's, it's baffling to me in, in a lot of different ways. I guess we'll never really know because I, I would ultimately think that Kyler Murray is going to end up playing this weekend and right. barring an injury. We won't know, but yeah. um, so I, I don't know. It, it is going to be fascinating going into the off season. Uh, what happens? I mean, Hunley's a free agent, uh, whether they let him walk away, if they bring in somebody else to challenge Strebler or Strebler's the guy they might want to be the backup next year, what they do. I, I'm going to be curious. Uh, so what do we make of John Wolford? Has anybody gone in? Can I give you guys – all right. Do you guys still have editors? Are there, are there editors here in 2000, almost 21? Because yeah, if I was well, The editors, uh, you're looking at uh, Darren Urban is Kyle Odegaard's editor, and Kyle Odegaard is Darren Urban's editor. So that's okay. basically how it works around our place. Good. Then I don't I – don't, forget the middleman. I'm going right to the source. Here we go. <laughs> here, here's some value-added advice. I'll invoice you guys for this later. You can put on the 2021 budget from Calvisi Consulting. Somebody needs to track down Jeff Munn, the former voice of the Arizona Hotshots, who saw every single snap taken by John Wolford. And when I ran into him in the KTAR newsroom, was telling about how Trevor Knight was drafted from Oklahoma to be the starting quarterback. And the Hotshots went to camp in San Antonio and three, four weeks later came back 
And all of a sudden, John Wolford was under center running with the first team offense and was like, what's going on? And Wolford had beaten out Trevor Knight and the rest is history. And boom, he led the hot shots and touchdown passes that year. Wait a minute. Should, should we have a moment of silence for former Arizona Cardinals great Trevor Knight? That's right. I forgot about that. That's because right. He, he was a Cardinal once upon a time before <laughs> it was a hot shot. That's right. However brief it might have been. Yeah. So apparently, you know, he's somewhere between six feet and six one, although they list him at six one. Apparently he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, he can definitely keep a defense honest with his feet. Uh, he's uh, according to sources, <clears throat> Jeff Munn, uh, he has a good deep ball. He's got a strong enough arm. He's accurate with the deep ball. So I'm not exactly sure what other book is out there on a guy who's never thrown a pass in the NFL, but guys, that's about as close as you're going to get right there. Cause there is no other real info on the guy in an NFL setting. And as, as the week has gone on, there's been kind of a cult following for John Wolford. Uh, Mina Kimes of ESPN is apparently a big John Wolford fan. She did like the Rams preseason a couple years ago and, said she's got like pages and pages of, of John Wolford notes <laughs> and some other people are now breaking down his Arizona hot shots film. I mean, he's a backup quarterback who's never thrown a pass in the NFL. So I don't think expectations are like super high. He's a guy that went undrafted bounced around. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like he's got some traits that fit in well with the Rams. He obviously beat out Blake Bortles, who is a former number, what number three overall pick. Like he's not, He's not just some guy off the scrap heap. They he's moved up on their depth chart the last couple of years and stuck around in the NFL. We'll know a lot more on Sunday, but I think clearly the Cardinals can't take him lightly, especially knowing what just happened last week. Like we said, if if Los Angeles runs the ball well, if they play good defense, I think John Wolford can be efficient enough to give him a shot. You know the other thing about John Wolford, and look at this picture right here. He apparently looks like he's 15 years old. And I'm going to show you guys this picture over Zoom, see if you can see this right now. You, some, if you're listening to Cardinals Underground here, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, you need to Google up a picture of John Wofford without his helmet on. It, people with a hot shot said he'd come out because he's not the biggest guy. He's just over six feet tall. They'd be like, okay, wait a minute. Is that the starting quarterback or should he have a Gatorade bucket in his hand? Is that the water boy? I mean, that's how young he looks. That's crazy. Honestly, I'm not sure he has his driver's license based on this photo. We all looked young once, Paul. That's a long time ago. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. So uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, I, I will say that to your point earlier, and this is my last thought on the Rams, it always starts with number 99. And Michael Brockers and how he feeds off Aaron Donald and – that Cardinals offensive line, can somebody give me an explanation for 32 false starts? In fact, you know what? It wouldn't be Cardinals underground without a new analytics. So, Kyle, here you go. FSPG, false starts per game. And right now the Cardinals are an even 2.0, right? Two false starts per game. They have 32 and 16 games. And 15 games. 15, 15 games. You're right. Okay, so do the math. Now we're in decimals and I'm out of my league. Hashtag no math. So there we go. Uh, but honestly – they activated Lamont Gilliard this week. And we've seen the issue with moving the football, Kyle. Could there be a movement on the depth chart at center? Yeah, I mean, we already saw Justin Murray coming in for J.R. Sweezy at guard. And we'll see. I think Mason Cole is, has played decently enough uh, this season. But, yeah, those, those false start penalties are fresh in the mind of everybody. And when you're not passing the ball, like we've talked about with the intermediate game, if you're not getting seven, eight yards per attempt, you can get into a lot of third downs. And when you're in third and 10 and you're not a great passing team, that can be trouble. So I think the false starts are a big deal, especially it's so mystifying because there isn't a crowd this season. I mean, when there's the noise, you can understand it a lot more, but when there's not crowd noise, it's just either a, a concentration lapse or you're getting a little anxious Whatever it is, it's been, you know, these self-inflicted penalties pre-snap that are really hard to stomach when you're a fan of the Cardinals and anything like that. I mean, if you play a sloppy game, you're talking about maybe being the end of your season. Darren, dare we mention any parallels of 2008? You were there every step of the way. Does this feel like that season enough to merit a mention here as we wrap up Cardinals Underground? I mean, I, I think it, it, there can be a little bit of a mention, Paul. I mean, uh, 
in the in the sense that uh, the defense has been kind of up and down, has a handful of playmakers in the sense that week 16, they had a horrific loss that everybody wanted to trash them and tell them how terrible they were. Uh, and in the sense that nobody expected a lot out of them going into that last game. Now, there are differences, significant differences. One, uh, they were well already in the playoffs by now. They could have lost that last game and it wouldn't have mattered. They, they still would have hosted the Falcons in that first playoff game. Um, this team obviously has to win to even get in the playoffs. Um, and the other big one to me, obviously, they had a future Hall of Fame quarterback that was able to wrangle the locker room and, and wrangle this whole roster. And I think Kurt Warner's influence made a big difference as they headed into the playoffs. And obviously their current quarterback, Kyler Murray, while potentially very talented and has shown it many times, just isn't there yet with his experience, isn't there yet with how to handle, I think, the entire roster. I mean, he's learning on the fly. I'm not blaming him for that, but he's not going to be Kurt Warner, who at that point had already been to and won a Super Bowl and been to another one and won an MVP. So that's a whole different thing. But there's a there's some there's some parallels there. And you know, they'll feel a lot better with themselves, obviously, if they win this weekend, no matter how it goes. And if you're in the playoffs, you're in the playoffs. And the one thing we did learn about 2008, Paul, was once you're in, a lot of stuff can happen, even if you're not expecting it. I mean, for example, if you're in, you could go to Seattle. You've already beaten the Seahawks. You could go to New Orleans and without fans in the Superdome. Okay, kick that game off. You could also go to Green Bay. Those are the three possibilities if the Cardinals make the playoffs and you could deal with horrific weather conditions. But guess what? Two years ago in 2018, they won at Lambeau. That's Steve Wilkes team with Josh Rosen, and they did so on a snowy day in December, Kyle. So, you know, the, you know what stuck out to me also about that Niners game was how many guys in the Niners locker room after the game said they rallied around C.J. Beathard, who's an ultra-popular guy in that locker room and had dealt with tragedy exactly a year earlier when his brother was stabbed and killed. And so it just – if this team has something to rally around right now, maybe it's the haters all week. Maybe it's everyone bagging on the team after the Week 16 loss. Maybe it's uh, the Rams supposedly saying that we're getting Jared Goff under the knife now because when we make the playoffs, he's going to be good to go. Really? Okay, that's a little presumptuous perhaps, even though they can still make it with a loss against the Cardinals. They need to concoct something to rally around if the whole prospect of a playoff berth isn't enough. Because you know what? Sometimes, as cheesy as it sounds, it works. And that Cardinals team rallied around shocked the world in some of the comments that said they were the worst playoff team ever to make the NFL postseason. Well, surprisingly, I don't agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I mean, at this point, you're motivated. I mean, you're, you're playing essentially. Kyle, that, can I just ask, did that look like a motivated team in week 16? You, you, got, you, you take a lot of blowback for that on social media, I presume. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you couldn't be motivated in that scenario. I, I just think you lost to a team that was much better than you in that game. And I don't really subscribe to the urgency and the energy thing because I think it was there. And if they won, you know, you just look at things differently depending on the outcome of the game. And you start talking about energy when a team isn't playing well, but I don't think it's an urgency thing. I think they got beat. And I think, you need to get your running game going, your traditional running game going in this one, because for the last six games or so, the Cardinals are probably at about three and a half yards per carry when you take out Kyler Murray scrambles. I don't think they're running the ball well. I think we've talked about the passing game being up and down. Like That's the sort of stuff to me more so than energy and urgency where you have to execute offensively and get back to what you were earlier because that stuff has disappeared. And if you don't get back to moving the ball efficiently on offense, you're just a, you're not going to make the playoffs. And then if you can get in because you're playing a backup quarterback, you're not going to stay long. And talking about that Super Bowl team, they had an excellent passing team and that's, that can carry you at times. Even if you have other issues, if you can throw, you've got a chance. And this season, the Cardinals have just been in too many games where they didn't efficiently move the ball through the air. So to me, that's what stands out. And I know we talk about a lot of things, but when I'm looking at this game and this season, can they throw the ball? And that's going to be the story of the rest of the way. And, and I would say going back to that 2018, what was the big part of that team too? That was a completely unbalanced pass first, pass second, pass third, run, maybe 
sixth place in what they did offensively. And they found their running game, especially the three games before the Super Bowl, uh, which was amazing. Adrian James kind of found a little bit of fountain of youth. He played better in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. The running game was more productive in the playoffs than it was in the regular season. And it gave them a little bit of balance off of that. And, you know, again, you need all these offensive things. We, we talk about Wolford playing. We talk about potentially Cooper Cup not playing because he's on the COVID list now. Um, and we'll see what happens there. And even if he does play, he's not going to get to practice with a quarterback he's never practiced with. So you're going to have some advantages when your defense is on the field. But again, like Kyle said, what can you do to crack this number one ranked Rams defense? And can you do it playing better than you have been lately, which you wouldn't think that would necessarily be there. And I think that's going to be the key to the game. Cardinals offense, can they produce? That's it. And you know what? I'll go back to the, the goal line touchdown where Kenny and Drake got airborne and went crowd surfing like he was in a mosh pit of a rock concert. And when they got stuffed the play prior, he was screaming, run it again. Let's go again. Let's come off the ball. Let's go downhill. And I'd love to see that because if there is one way to go at the Rams, it's straight ahead. Aaron Donald isn't the biggest guy. And so maybe you come off, you try and send a message from the beginning and you let the O-line coming off a less than stellar game for an O-line that's been really good most of the year. You let them prove it against that Ram tough defensive front right from the get-go. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the approach and, and try to set a tone early at SoFi Stadium. But we'll see. You know, Darren, you know, look, to wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, best case scenario, Darren, is that your college student and the Arizona Cardinals – sort of wrap up this semester the same way. You know, the, the, the team comes to the head coach, says, Dad, you know what? There was a lot of drama, but we got it done. Pass, fail. I just passed. We're going to the postseason. You know, your son comes to UD, and he says, hey, you know what, Dad? No worries. No sweat. I had it all along. <laughs> Boom, I got the credits. I'm still on track to the degree. To be fair, Alec did get a B finally in the class that he'd taken <clears throat> multiple times um, and is, is – <laughs> and is now going to graduate this spring. So I got to give him prom. There you go. See, there's a happy ending. Well, one begets another. You know, let's stay positive here. Right, Kyle? Come on now. Yep. Cardinals got to follow that lead and get a B. <laughs> there you go. You know what? And then and then you start the next semester and you start from zero again. Boom, you hit the reset button. Absolutely. <laughs> That'll do it for Cardinals Underground. <laughs>